Hello, welcome to Pharmacy for Me, your go-to platform for evidence-based, best practice pharmacy advice for common kids' presentations to pharmacies. I'm Katie McGee, a registered pharmacist with the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority, and I bring you this series of episodes to help assist your decision-making in managing and treating your little ones if they become unwell and need professional advice. Hello listeners, welcome to yet another episode of Pharmacy for Me. Today I am talking about the topic of worms. Firstly, I just wanted to talk about um, APRA, which you hear me say at the start of every single episode. So APRA is the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority, and it is who I am registered with as a pharmacist. So all regulated health practitioners in Australia must be registered through APRA. And if you look at their website, you can search for any practitioner to see if they are registered or not. Um, this means if they're registered, they have a qualification under that title. So, for example, if you went into the APRA website, put in Katie McGee, it would come up with um, being registered as a pharmacist, the year from um, my APRA number, and if I do or don't have any um, conditions against my registration. So, as I said, they health practitioners, so all pharmacists must be registered through APRA. Um, they also make sure um, they do background checks on everyone, so criminal um, checks. We also have to have our working with children's check. Um, but one of the main things APRA also do is um, they control reporting of any um, practitioners, including pharmacists. So any pharmacist can be reported to APRA, and this can be by another health prof professional or the general public. So the most common reports of pharmacists is from general public, and it's usually around um, medication administration. Um I have put up some screen grabs of their annual report. So this was re released recently of the prior um, 12 months to this year. And it looks at all the different health professionals. So pharmacists, doctors, um, physios, everyone registered with APRA. And it looks at all the stats about them in the previous 12 years. So ages, genders, um, all kinds of things. But the screen grabs I've put up and you'll find in the About Pharmacy for Me highlights is one that I think is really important and it's looking at any practitioners that were reported in that 12 months for misconduct. So just so you know, I as a pharmacist can be reported by anyone for anything that you think is unsafe, but there's some major ones that are mandatory reporting and that's sexual abuse or misconduct, um, practicing under the influence of alcohol or drugs, um, deviating away from standards and guidelines, so practicing really off-label and making recommendations not according to practice. And the last one is placing the public at any risk of harm because of working under impairment, so a particular health issue. So the screen grab I put up was all in the last 12 month period, all the health practitioners that had been reported for one of these four mandatory um, 
conditions. It has their names, what they were prosecuted for, and the outcome. So fines if their registrations were terminated or if they have to practice under any specific conditions. For example, they might need 100% supervision. And I think this is really interesting because you can see that not only it people are held accountable for their actions, but just a reminder that just because you're going to someone you think is a health professional, it doesn't mean that people do deviate away from it. It's really important to make sure that you find health professionals that you can trust and know. And I think ARPA is really good because it's open to the whole you know, World Wide Web, general public, you can look up your health practitioner and make sure that they're registered and aren't, um, um, don't have any, yeah, conditions on, on their registration. So if you, for example, looked at me, Katie McGee, and I didn't come up, I would be questioning, you know, where is your registration as a pharmacist and why are you not coming up on APRA? Um, so just keep that in mind. It was just something I wanted to draw your attention to. It's really rare. There are some prosecutions on there. You can see their names and everything. It's made really clear and just to, so you know about it basically. Okay. So enough about that. Probably really boring for a lot of you, but I think it's really important to know about. So now we're going to talk about what you're actually here to listen to and hear about. And that is what worms are and how to get rid of them. I'll give you information about how to treat but also prevent worms, including treatment safe in pregnancy. Okay, talking about what you're actually here to listen for, and that is what are worms and how do you get rid of them? I'll give you some information about how to treat but also prevent worms, including treatments that are safe in pregnancy and breastfeeding. Hopefully you will learn some do's and don'ts around sharing of personal items and if you can send your child to school if they have worms. And at the end, all, as always, I'll give you some referral points to seek further medical attention. And of course, I will let you in and know about what is in store for next week's episode. Worms in children are common and they sound a bit gross, but it isn't really that bad. They're known as worms, but not worms that you go out and find in the garden. They are called threadworms or pinworms. These are just other names. So threadworm, pinworm, worms in children, we're all talking about the same thing here. They are found in around 30% of children worldwide and are most common in preschool and school-aged children. Worms are not ringworm. So threadworm. Threadworm, pinworm, worms, that's what we're talking about today. Ringworm is different. Ringworm is a fungal infection, but it is not actually a physical worm, which I might talk about in a future episode. Threadworm is a worm. So threadworm or worms, they are a white, very thin, cotton-like living worm. They're usually about 6 to 12 millimetres long that move and wiggle. They mainly live in the bowel, but the females lay eggs up to 10,000 at a time, which move to the anal area, and then the female will die. The eggs can survive weeks in the anus, but they can also survive and live in the clothing, in things like clothing and bed sheets. 
Eggs then will hatch into worms and then they can be found or seen around the anus or the bottom. They're more active in the early morning or late at night and very rarely they can be seen in the poo because they're so small. You can know potentially if your child has worms by looking for the worms. You should use a light in around the anus area and it's best to look for them in the morning or night when they're most active. It is good to look first thing in the morning before the child showers because the worms will have had all night to move through the bowel and settle into the anus area and before they go to the toilet and or shower them away is a good time for them to be seen. There is also something called the tape test. If you cannot see them but think your child might have worms, so the sticky tape test, take a clear piece of sticky tape and with the sticky side down, stick it onto the skin, um, one on both sides of the anus. And again, best in the morning, as soon as your child wakes up before they go to the toilet or shower, peel off the sticky tape and stick it onto another piece of clear tape. Hold it up and you can look through the tape to see if there's any visible worms on the tape. It's best visualised by a health professional under a microscope, but it is something that you can try at home. Threadworm spreads by the child itching their bottom and the eggs getting under their fingernails and then putting them in the mouth. This is the most common way. It can also spread by touching and through things like food, dust, and items like toys. Um, so having it on their hands or however, touching something and then putting that into their mouth because the eggs can survive on surfaces. Once the eggs are swallowed, they will hatch in the intestine. Worms will move down to the anus and where they'll live and lay more eggs and so on. Threadworm that humans get are not related to animals, including pets, which is one of the very, very common questions we get. And a lot of people um, think that you get worms from your dog or cat or pet. They're not. You do not need to worm your pet if your child has worms and vice versa. If your pet has worms, you don't need to worm humans. You cannot catch threadworm from animals. So going into talking about symptoms, so around, a th as I said, 30% of children worldwide will get um, worms and around a third of those don't have any symptoms. So symptoms include itching and irritation around the anus and between the bum, bum cheeks. Sometimes this can move to the vagina and also causes vaginal itching and discharge. Your child might be more restless and irritable to sleep and you might notice redness in the anal area from the child itching. Another little bit of a misconception in symptoms around worms in children is that they have an increased appetite. So a lot of people will say or think, oh, my child won't stop eating, they must have worms. But it's a bit of a misconception. If you have worms like the red worm or pinworm then if anything the child may get a loss of appetite because of the irritation in the bowel can cause um, more gastrointestinal stomach upset 
Where the increased appetite comes in relation to worms is in some really contagious um, large worm infestations, so different types to pinworms or threadworms, which is the most common in Australian children. Um, they These worms can feed in the intestines and the stomach, um, reducing um, malnutrition, and so the person may need to or feel like they need to keep eating more. But these types of worm are not not common in Australia, and um, it's a lot in third world countries with poor hygiene poor hygiene practices. Um, so, it, general speaking, in worms in Australia, as I said, threadworm, pinworm, if anything, will um, cause a reduction or less appetite. Um, Kids do eat a lot and sometimes they may be eating a lot of food when they do have worms, but the most common is preschool and school children who are going through growth spurts and are high energy and generally are eating a lot more in that time anywhere. So I think this correlation in um, other factors of the children can then sometimes be in um, the same time as worms, so that's where... Um, people presume that the the increased food intake is because of the worms but it's usually um, it's from other factors so your child has worms how do we get rid of it so they're very difficult to get rid of because there's so many eggs and trying to get them all completely gone with treatment um, can sometimes be difficult you should If your child has worms, you need to treat everyone in the household and carers all at the same time as you treat the person with the worms. So this is to reduce the risk of spreading and reinfecting. Although the worms can spread by direct contact with them and ingesting them, it does not mean that your child needs to miss school or childcare. So if your child has worms, they do not need to stay at home. Um, Yes, it's by direct contact, but it's by orally. So they actually would need to swallow the worms. So once you identify the worms, you've treated it, then they can still go to childcare or daycare and practice good hygiene measures. Um, It's probably a good idea to let the childcare know as well so that they, they can make sure that the child's cleaning their hands thoroughly and they're washing up everything that the child touches, but this is usually general cleanup and hygiene of um, the schools anyway. So there's two different treatments available. So the first one is called Mebendazole. It comes as tablets, chewable tablets, and also chocolate squares, which is most people are you know, um, aware of, or they also come in liquid drops. So mebendazole, it works by preventing the worms um, from getting and eating glucose in the intestines. And glucose is the form of food for energy for the worm. So if they can't get to it, basically the the worm can't eat, so it loses energy and it dies. Mebendazole dose is usually um, if the child is greater than 10 kilos it's 100 milligrams as a single dose and if the child is less than six months old or um, less than 10 kilos then 50 milligrams as a single dose 
Um, make sure you always read the packaging for dosing and treatment and follow that exactly. There's limited evidence and information about the efficacy of mebendazole and safety in children under one year old. So um, would stick to, again, just follow the packaging, but under one years old, there's limited information about it. You should avoid mebendazole in the first trimester of pregnancy, but it can be used in breastfeeding. Um, it's, yeah, poorly absorbed um, by the mother through and from the mother to the child through the breast milk. Side effects of mebendazole are headache, nausea, abdominal pain. Um, it's all working in the stomach, so they may feel it in there. It's rare to have side effects and they're usually dose dependent. So it's more likely if you are on it for a long period of time, whereas in this case you're not. Um, and, or if you have really high doses, so that might be in an overdose situation in where you would call the poisons hotline um, and or take your child straight to the emergency department for treatment about what and or what to do. The next medication is called Pyrantal. This one comes as tablets and chocolate squares, so more for a child that can chew and eat. Um, the mebendazole is good because it does come in the liquid as well. So Pyrantal, this is the second treatment, so it works differently to the mebendazole. Um, pyrantal paralyzes the worms, which causes them to um, let go of the edge of the intestines, so detach from the, the intestines, and then you poo them out. So these are ones that you can usually see um, wiggling around still around the anus or if you can, can identify them. It's safe to use from one years of age to eight and above. So from one to 18 years, the dose is 10 milligram per kilogram, um, up to one gram as a single dose. This one is safe in pregnancy and breastfeeding, so a good one when treating um, the whole family um, and for mothers who are pregnant and or still breastfeeding. Side effects exactly the same as mebendazole, so it may pyrantal may cause some nausea, abdominal pain, um, but otherwise you shouldn't notice many side effects. When you are treating everyone, it's best to everyone shower that night and then treat with your worming treatment, and then in the morning to everyone is you know go, try and go to the toilet and do a poo, have a shower to rinse off any eggs or worms that may have laid that night, ensuring really good rinsing of the anal area. And then to clean all linen, like bed sheets, towels, um, white services, clean the floors that morning. So you're trying to treat and then clean everything and to um, prevent that reinfection. Um, and hygiene is a really important part of reducing that reinfection. Um, so washing hands regularly, um, particularly after going to the toilet and or before eating. Avoid scratching the anal area and keep fingernails cut short, trying not to bite them because it's, you know, very common for the child to scratch their bum. The worms or eggs sit under the nails and then they eat them um, by chewing on the nails or putting their fingers in the mouth um, and then you've got reinfection or initial infection. 
should shower daily and wash all clothing, towels, bed linen in hot water um, to kill any eggs. Wash toys in hot water. Vacuum the floors to remove any eggs and clean surfaces that the child touches, including like drawers, doors, door handles. Um, also with treatment with mebendazole and pyrantal for worms in the whole family, the packaging will often suggest to retreat in seven days time or about a week's time um, and this is to capture any missed eggs in the initial treatment so as I said you know they're very tricky to treat because there's usually so many eggs um, throughout the gastrointestinal tract and trying to clean everything at once so that next seven day treatment is to capture any missed ones that may have hatched and or have hatched into worms that you can treat to get rid of. And that's usually the recommendation um, for treatment. So first treatment, initial treatment, clean everything, and then to do that all again with the second treatment. So again, showers, treat in the morning, shower again, and cleaning all your linen and towels. But this is, again, one of the important things about treating everyone at the same time, or you're just going to keep getting reinfection. So you should see a doctor or seek medical further medical attention if the anal symptoms are still lasting over a week after treatment or if symptoms get any worse. If the skin around the anus becomes red and raw or sore, it could have turned into a bacterial infection from scratching of the skin and the skin opening up. Um, I recommend to going back and listening to the nappy rash episode about this because it could be um, really helpful to use a barrier cream and I also talk a little bit more about the um, scratching and irritation of the skin and bacterial infections and things like that. If your child poos a large sized worm um, you should seek medical attention and also try capture it and keep it if you can for them to um, a doctor to have a look at it. And if your child has any stomach pain, nausea, vomiting, low energy levels, or just generally seem unwell and not themselves, to um, check into your to see your doctor. So wrapping it all up, worms in children are also known as threadworms or pinworms, and they're very common in school aged children. They can be identified by visually seeing them in children with itchy sore bottoms. Threadworms can be treated easily by medication available from pharmacies, which are pyrantal or mebendazole. It is important to shower before and after treating, as well as all bed linen and towels and treat everyone in the house at the same time, regardless if they have symptoms or not. Use good hygiene to prevent reinfection, such as washing hands, cutting and not biting fingernails, cleaning surfaces, and encouraging the child not to scratch their bottom. Seek further medical attention if symptoms get worse or do not improve a week after treatment. If the skin around the anus becomes broken, red, or raw, or you see a large size worm. Um, the information discussed today is accurate only up until the date of publication. Remember that it is also sourced appropriately and researched and you can find references in the notes and on Instagram. So make sure you follow me on Pharmacy For Me. Next week, I'll be bringing you all you need to know about conjunctivitis. Um, if you don't know what that is and you have a child in your life, then you 
definitely definitely need to listen into next week's episode on conjunctivitis. So that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. This podcast is where pharmacy is done differently. I'm Katie McGee and you've just listened to another episode of Pharmacy For Me. The advice shared via Pharmacy For Me is considered general in nature and does not consider individual and personal circumstances. Pharmacy for Me presents evidence-based information for education purposes only. Always seek professional advice from your pharmacist or doctor if you have any concerns about an individual and medical decision-making. Pharmacy for Me is presented by Katie McGee, a registered pharmacist with the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority. The information provided is within the presenter's scope of practice and abides by national law and the Pharmacy Board of Australia's Pharmacist Code of Conduct.